Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. Welcome back, my friends. We are in the throes, the throes of the seven deadly sins here on the podcast. Kudos to those of you that have been reading along with us with uh, Rebecca DeYoung's book, Glittering Vices. Um, and for those of you who just been been in for the pod, um, we appreciate just uh, being able to have a conversation outside of the pod in our in our homes and in our places. Um, I am happy to be once again joined by both Laura and Hayden. Laura, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Hayden, the right reverend, welcome back to the podcast as well. Glad to be here. And I'm asking, we're asking a little more of ourselves this time. We're going to do a double today. Double feature. Double feature. Um, in our email, I accidentally called it sluttony, yep. which was a way of saying gluttony and <laughs> lust. Can't unsee that. Can't unsee that. Uh, my apologies now for everyone who can't unhear that. Uh, but we are going to tackle gluttony and lust. Uh, two chapters that are distinct chapters, but with enough overlap and uh, structural similarities that we thought it would be worth just tackling them together. But that said, let's start with... Gluttony. Let's start with um, gluttony as its own thing, and then we'll build a bridge um, and see some of the connections. It might help us think through uh, lust in a different key. Um, as far as her chapter on gluttony and glittering vices, one of the things she does that's very helpful, she starts out with the stereotypes. When you think of gluttony, dear podcast listener, I, I would hazard to guess many of us would think of someone eating too much, eating um, copious amounts. And many uh, of the images we get, gluttony is associated with, with carrying extra weight. Gluttony is associated with uh, a particular image or a particular uh, appearance of a person who is overweight and these kinds of things. And one thing she does is she first points that that is uniform across contemporary literature. When treating gluttony, it is almost always categorically tied to uh, overeating, overweight, these kinds of things. And one of the things she does quickly is uh, is helpfully sort of disentangle us a little bit from that stereotype by describing gluttony in a in a different way. Gluttony as an approach, not an appearance, but an approach to food and what it's for or what it may not be for. Um, and so she she opens with kind of rethinking a little bit of what gluttony might mean, and she includes in that rethinking um, of the kind of person who is unbelievably meticulous about mm -hmm. their food, right? This is a really helpful move in uh, a South Orange County context that we're in, in which food is an obsession of a kind, but it's usually an obsession of a dieting kind. It's usually an obsession of an appearance of health or an appearance of a certain beauty standard. And so like my food and my counted calories or my exact grain counts of things needs to be really well dialed in and I need to have everything copiously checked. And she suggests early that it may in fact be gluttony to be so obsessively interested in food in that mm -hmm. way, not in this unhealthy way, but in this hyper, I'm going to be so healthy, I'm going to think about this and map this out all the time way, that immediately just sort of opens up a whole world of interesting ideas for us to tackle. Laura, what did you think of how she opened this kind of chapter? I think that's a really helpful distinction. Just discussing it more as 
Where's our pleasure coming from uh, when we are involved in food, right? Like, so what is it coming from? Uh, is our pleasure coming from how heavily restrictive we are in, in what we are doing? Or is our pleasure coming from and in how indulgent we are? But kind of thinking beyond just the cartoonish image of someone overeating instead uh, asking us basically how we approach food um, and why we approach food the way we do. And so I'm excited to be on the podcast today um, with Father Hayden because he and I are both foodies of sorts. Yep. And we love food. We love eating it and making it and Uh-oh. talking about it. <laughs> and so, um, but he's somebody who I respect and he's he has worked hard to uh, enjoy food intentionally and then know when to abstain. And so I, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this because I love food and I love eating food with friends. Um, and I have seen how that can go off the rails on either side, if not careful. It's interesting because, uh, and she refers to Aquinas more than a few times again, talking about a natural desire, a natural mm-hmm. pleasure, yeah. a natural need, which of course food is. Um, but yeah, even just those opening remarks, Laura, in this beginning of this chapter, it reminds me of a conversation I have with Rochelle Simpson, um, who was uh, is a chef friend of mine, um, culinary, like really well-trained, worked at some of the, the, the really top restaurants even in this area. Um, and then became sort of a private chef for a season with people. And I remember having her on the podcast a couple seasons ago. And she was, it was clear she was expressing like she was sort of exhausted with being hmm. the sort of curator of, of wealthy people's incredibly <laughs> meticulous. Specific, you know. Yeah, it was like the love and enjoyment and skill that she had was was all sort of being funneled in this incredibly almost mechanized how to look perfect for the summer beach body, um, you know, goal yeah. of her being yeah. the family sort of chef or whatever. And I remember like, oh, wow, she's she's experiencing food and an obsession with food in a different way than you think of the cartoonish gluttony picture. Mm-hmm. But it seems like exactly what Rebecca sort of opens with yeah. mm-hmm. uh, suggestively uh, that that this is still an unhealthy approach <laughs> To food, like a misunderstanding maybe of what food is for. Uh, so maybe, Hayden, t- turning to you as, <laughs> I'll say, the most thoughtful of our of our three, but but a very thoughtful person, oh, no, a very thoughtful person, and and this being one of those things that you have you have considered and, and practiced in a certain way. But what is food for? Like, <laughs> like we all just ate lunch recently to get over here. Uh, I'm just going to say it, Laura. I know you had McDonald's. I had chicken nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the Minute King and had the Italian trio. Oh, and the as Italian I was eating it, I was like, you know, I'm supporting Minute King. Is that ethical? <laughs> I like these people I talk to. But oh, I'm looking yeah. at some of the things I'm eating, and I'm just like, ooh, I don't know. What is food for? Was it really for that? So, okay. Hayden, what? <laughs> how can we think in a healthy way, uh, a reasonable way, a non-obsessive way, about what food is for? I'm always, I think I'm always drawn back to there's this old um, blessing over a meal um, that um, that is kind of that was that was with the church for a while um, and is still practiced some places. It's um, it comes from Psalm 145. It's pretty much the lines straight from it, which is. Um, the eyes of all wait upon thee, O Lord, and thou givest them meat in due season. Thou openest thy hand and fills and fillest all things living with plenteousness. 
And I think that's a good place to start because I think what food is for, food is of course to sustain life. Food is to also delight the heart and food. And because in all, both of those things are the image of, in the Psalms, the poetry of the Psalms, always that image of plenteousness. It's not only a satisfying of a need, but also a delighting of the heart as well. And a orienting of the heart back toward God as the provider of that, of that plenteousness. So I think that's, that's a good place to start with food is I think that's what food is for. Mm. It's to supply a need we have to sustain life. And also it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a way we are, you know, brought are filled with delight and ordered back toward God with Thanksgiving. Well, let's tackle our, okay. This, this generic orange County, hyper thoughtful, what I'm eating person. Yeah. They'd be like, I am, you know, I've, I've either online or in person, I have nutritionists who tell me yeah. about all the things that my body really needs. And I have it meticulously dialed because our bodies are meticulously, you know, sort of designed machines or, or however they would phrase that to say like, <laughs> it's probably uncharitable, but to say that like that, I, that's what I'm taking seriously. That's is a real that thing. Food is for my body to be healthy for my, yeah, my temple. Yeah. I like, I, my yeah. temple is supposed to be uh, clean and pure. Um, but, that's why I'm so careful about what I eat because of course you know Father Hayden we live in an unbelievably processed society a bunch of yeah. fake nonsense this that and the other thing mm -hmm. so we have to be vigilant and it takes a lot of effort to be really careful about what we are bringing food into our body because we care what it is supposed to be for <laughs> no I think that I think that's right I think then we get you know one of the questions that I that comes to mind when I hear that kind of thing is and I ask it of myself too when I'm being when I find myself in seasons of being you know be fastidious and I have you know whatever way of expressing that is um, is like why do you care why do you care uh, and it may be that it's the answer to the first half of that question or that that sort of response from the Psalm 145 right it might be I, I care about you know my body is a gift that is given to me I am my body and I am my soul right I am I am embodied and so to care for this gift um, is an expression of thanksgiving if that's what it is. But I, th I think that there's an impulse that I see a lot in this area, right, in, in Orange County, which is I can use food to accomplish X in my life. And food is one of these avenues through which we pursue. Um, <clears throat> take, for example, like I, if, I, if, I pursue, if I eat perfectly, I will not die in the same way I might have died right. otherwise. Right. 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 And so there's a real logic to that. Yeah. Right. And there's a, there's some, there's just enough truth to it to make it more persuasive than it ought to be. And to extend the, the logic of it further than it really can be extended. Right. And so I've, I've seen, I've seen the person that's like, if you have a drop of like the wrong kind of oil, like you're just like, it's like committing suicide. Wow. And, it, and then the same person's like, if I, if I eat this thing, like I really got a shot at, at, at like at kicking at, at running from death a while longer like mm. and and i i really got it's within my power now to sort of like hold death at bay and i think ultimately that's maybe where a lot of this goes wrong is when we we start we where we're what we're attaining to is not an expression of gratitude for a good gift of our body of our health of, our, of the homeostasis that holds it all together but rather is like i'm using this as a way of gaining control over something over me, over the people around me, over death itself, over God, um, of not needing God. And I think that those are easily easily accessible reasons for doing that kind of thing, whether of self-neglecting or self-aggrandizing through uh, the fastidiousness we have around food. Control, that's, that, control's yeah. a really interesting thing because that would work on either side of those extremes, right? right? 
the indulgent overeating because something's gone terribly wrong in life and this is the one place where it is just me and I can enjoy what I enjoy and I don't right. need other people to, to regulate it for. I have control over this, so I'm going to indulge because that's what I think I deserve right now. Right. Right? Like that, that is a form of control. And then exactly what you're describing is, a, is another form of control. Um, when she breaks it down to sort of a little more precision about how to maybe think about forms gluttony can take, yeah. you mentioned even the word fastidious. She, she uses the acronym FRESH, F-R-E-S-H. And the first one uh, is fastidious. The second one, so, so gluttony may be expressed in eating fastidiously, ravenously, excessively, sumptuously, and hastily. Mm-hmm. Okay, now that's a lot, but fastidious is sort of where we started right um mm-hmm. for whatever your purposes may be around here it's usually my physical appearance but maybe it is also look i genuinely want to live as many possible days as, as as i can control and maybe that fastidiousness is expressed in like a hyper control situation um ravenously i mean you know you think of maybe kids or you think of you know when you're younger and you're sort of set loose on something or there's i notice every time we're at like a, a party or like a group event the kids are aware that the adults are less sort of like portioning everything out <laughs> oh my and that there's just a common table Ten full of stuff juice boxes let's go <laughs> and i'll notice the smarter kids devious the smarter kids will have a couple before they ask for one that's right yeah and then you'll be like well wait a minute how many have you had uh-huh, and uh, uh well he had you know <laughs> yeah. um so I, I think you think of you know childish sort of you know phase of life you know ravenously i, I know it's possible though for adults to eat ravenously um mm-hmm. <laughs> what would that mean or what would that what would that look like in our context if we're if we're owning some of this when when have we eaten ravenously I, I I was reflecting, you know, I was talking about this with uh, my husband yesterday, and he was saying that when he moved to the States, what surprised him most of all was the yo-yo everybody has, like how people will, throughout the week, will be like, I'm vegan until dinner, and then they like, you know, or something, and he, or there'd be like, I'm, I'm on Whole30, but then for this month, I'm going crazy, or, you know, mm, yeah, we, cheat through, week. Yeah, yeah, or throughout the holidays, we just are sort of ravenous and then we do dry January and we and so that was the thing that surprised him most I think was just that instability so I think about that with the ravenously of of like I have withheld something from me and now I have the cheat day and I'm gonna pounce um so that's kind of what comes to mind for me with ravenously um it also uh ravenously implies a little bit to me uh like a lack of care for yourself and that you've gotten to the point where now you are ravenous mm. like you mm-hmm. have um you, you maybe i rush out of the house and i don't eat breakfast and then i like didn't prepare well so i don't have much of a lunch i've got like some carrots and then a dinner comes and i'm just ravenous so that comes to mind a little bit too of like i haven't cared for myself enough to feed myself well throughout the day or throughout the week and so i get to a point where suddenly i'm demand you know all the things. So in that sense, Hayden, it's a neglect of that first thing of what food is for, mm-hmm. right? Energy for your body to be well and do the things that you need to do during the day. Neglecting that early means you end up overcompensating But it can also later. be that second thing too, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a self-neglect in terms of like times for recollection, reflection, and gratitude. It, when you were talking, I, can't, I, was, I remember recently I was watching a, an episode of, um, of um, I think it was Ugly Delicious on Netflix. It mm, was with mm-hmm. David Chang, the Great chef. Stuff. 
and he was he was look he was visiting Japan and he was he was he was going into a school where he was seeing these kids eat their lunches yeah. and the rule in the lunchroom which was startling to me was that for the first like 10 minutes or so or 15 minutes of lunch their lunch period the kids are not allowed to talk to each other they're just there to appreciate the meal and to reflect on it nourishing them to wow. actually experience that without the distraction of anything else around them so they're just like listen to your body you can have as much as you need today um, and but we want you to have the space where you're actually being trained to listen to your body as it's being fed and to think about the thing that's happening while you're doing it. Wow. And I was like, wow, that'll preach, right? Like that's a, that's a yeah. real thing, you know, but I, that's what that's kind of what came to mind when you were talking about that is that second thing that we can we can deprive ourselves of actually the space to delight such that when we finally get an opportunity to do any kind of thing that is good for us or, or caring for us for ourselves like we we just we hit it with an intensity and a like a velocity i think is behind that kind of that ravenousness that 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 is bad that ultimately is bad for us and it is connected then to sort of the excessively because we haven't considered what is maybe required or what yeah. is what is good what is even required of the day mm-hmm. right that, mm-hmm. that at one day might need a different thing than the next day that's right and mm-hmm. and so then that aggressive or that like unthinkingness that ravenous might sort of conjure a little bit um easily dovetails or leads to excess yeah. right um a lack of portion i mean you talk about i mean elmar coming to the states but you talk about anytime we go anywhere else and mm-hmm. <laughs> you realize what an actual serving oh size oh my gosh is. i remember being i mean this is a humble brag on accident but i mean i remember being in paris at 19 years old and we're like in the place of places, you know. And I am like a Francophile. I'm like a 19 year old who's obsessed with Victor Hugo. I'm like so excited to be there, you know. And like I love ham and cheese, ham and Swiss sandwiches. And we're having them every. And wherever we order, we sit down. And invariably, you know, I'm 19. I would order a Coke, you know. Mm-hmm. And the cutest little Coke bottle would come out. This <laughs> yeah. little glass, adorable. Eight, six ounces of them. And I would, you know, look at the price again, and I would look back at the Coke bottle, and I would look at the waiter who wouldn't want to look at me, and then, <laughs> and I would look at, <laughs> I was with my mom, and I would look at my mom, and I'd be like, but then it, you know, it was funny. It was like at first, it was like, wow, what a waste of money. I remember that just as a mm-hmm. wow, what a waste of money. I'm still hungry or something after our, after a, a meal. And then we were there for a week. And so then you also kind of come to expect it. Yeah. And then I remember, I remember, and this was toward the end of the week we were there, we were on sort of a, a rooftop sort of, eat, you know, sort of a scene for eating at this restaurant. And it was like a cafe. It was somehow ordinary for them. But it was literally overlooking like the Champs-Élysées. And I remember sitting there with the same thing I probably got when we first got there that I was like really sort of like, geez, seriously? I just spent, we just spent that money to be hungry. Um, and I remember like looking out, thinking about the week, and I was expecting this little glass Coke bottle, and it came, and I remember sipping it slowly. And I remember like, I'm gonna enjoy this. I'm gonna appreciate this. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm not, I, I can't afford to tackle it ravenously or I won't taste it, right? right, right. <laughs> like it was a weird little adjustment, even as a teenager, recognizing, okay. The portions here are much smaller, but the flavors are probably much better. Um, and I actually have to adjust how I sit and eat in order to taste and appreciate what I'm having because there's less of it. I can't just mm-hmm. say, well, the next 10 bites, I'm sure I'll catch up to the flavor. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. there aren't 10 bites. There might be right. four, you know. 
Yeah. So like even that little experience was like I remember thinking, okay, it's not just like portion, it's like appreciation. That's right. Because they certainly appreciate their food in right. France. That's a big deal. Now both of you also appreciate food as as cooks, as people who really enjoy mm-hmm. to prepare food. So here's the I'll, I'll just play the the ignorant question: How do you guys avoid being gluttonous if you're spending so much time thinking about preparing uh, and working with food? Isn't that excessive? Mm. Is, is, isn't that controlling? Yeah. <laughs> what is that? It could be. I mean, it, yeah, really yeah. could be. Um, I think, I mean, I try to balance, I, you know, I have the basic nutrition information that we all get, you know, and health 101. Um, I, so I'm not exact. I'm not like a nutrition junkie or anything like that. Um, but I, I do try to think about just those balances. I, I'm a fan of like this idea of intuitive eating and that like if you slow down and appreciate and pause like your body will communicate some of its needs right like we have days where we're craving vegetables hopefully (laughs) or like days where you feel like "I, i need some protein today like i'm really and so i try to listen to that i try to eat seasonally as well and to try to play along those lines of like the tomatoes are incredible right now so like let's make something with that um so those are some things that come in my head i guess at this point in my life like i know it makes me feel terrible and so um that is kind of my guiding principle that there's a lot of resources out there about intuitive eating if you want to look into it but it's i think that's a major thing for me like even in this season right now i know that like if i have a glass of red wine i feel bad the next day so it's like okay let's so let's stop you know, so that's, I know that's a little outside of some of the governing principles we're talking about, but I think just sort of listening to the body God has given me, um, knowing what helps me operate and knowing what doesn't work. Um, I can't eat as some people do and some people can't eat as I do. Hmm. And, um, just trying to be thoughtful about how much food I'm buying, how much food I'm throwing away, where I'm getting that food as much as I'm able, um, without sort of being on this major guilt trip about it too. Like, okay, I didn't get the organic chicken today and that's okay. But like if the organic chicken's on sale, yeah, let's go for it. So trying, I don't know, it's, it's a complex, um, internal struggle sometimes and I can get hung up on things. I can get hung up on, you know, there's seasons where I think I should just be buying all organic or we should be eating less meat or all our meat should be local. And then there's seasons where that feels unrealistic. And so always trying to balance those extremes because I have both in my head at all times. Um, and then I think eating with friends is a big way to like cooking with friends and cooking for friends helps with the gluttony thing too, because um, it's less about the eating and, and it's about the experience and spending that time together. So those are a collection of thoughts uh, because I love food. It's so good. I love cooking things. I love looking through a good cookbook. Um, I love going to a new restaurant. And so I also know that about myself and know that like if I was to be way overspending in terms of our avarice conversation, it would be on food. So mm. having knowing that I have to sort of uh, couch myself on either end and uh, just be thoughtful. Just take it slow enough that I'm aware of what I'm eating and what my habits are. Similar reflections, Hayden, about yeah. about how you sort of think about food, how you approach it as someone who really enjoys to cooking, enjoys yeah. 
its connection to seasons of life, calendar of the church, which we'll probably yeah, get to I, as well. I think that's that's kind of what came to mind with it, with your question is, um, you know, I think in addition to the what the, the very like the, the things that Laura just said, I th- which I think are they're right there. You know, those are daily things for us as well in our home. Um, I think as well as the you know is the church calendar right is mm-hmm. is yeah like there's fasting and feasting built into the year. And, you know, that, that does help to add a, a communal element to it, kind of like the cooking with friends um, and how that influences things. It's, it's also like, okay, what am I, what am I cooking for mm-hmm. today? Am I, you know, and, and I think that that's always been a help. That's a, become a helpful question is, okay, I'm cooking for these, these people around me, right? And what do they need? Um, I am cooking for myself and what do I need? Um, I'm cooking for... Um, this you know this particular part of the day breakfast lunch dinner um, I'm cooking for this occasion um, mm-hmm. you know and 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 all of those are answers to that and then maybe like you know cooking for this you know this really significant you know timeless event you know so like you know I really <laughs> like there's some there's some there's a couple of days a year like Christmas and Easter where you know it's just like let's let's just be like do something delightful here because the occasion calls for it occasion mm-hmm. calls for true delight and you know and it and it calls for a a sort of a, a gift of our you know a culinary prowess whatever it is you know to whatever degree it is and can be called such um, but yeah like i said what does the day merit and that implies then you know, as both of you sort of mentioned that it isn't always the same right that it yeah. is uh there's seasonal things to the food that that is or at least ought to be sort of more on our radar mm-hmm. uh and then there are there are occasions and there are different kinds of days there is the the lunch hour between <clears throat> things uh while you're working and then there is sunday for in our context sunday at church at home mm-hmm. where we have this lunch that we share together that always has a, a totally different moment to it than me just trying to figure out what to get you know because i forgot to pack something or or didn't plan ahead or something like that but letting letting larger things maybe um guide us rather than hyper mapping everything for my individual sort of optimization or yeah. perfect strength perfect health perfect beauty um that there are other factors that uh, can lead and help us to reflect on um what food uh is for in different occasions at different times if you were to think about um this the quality of it's the social quality of food um mm-hmm. that last one in the fresh i mean sumptuously is interesting but you mentioned you know the church calendar has times of feasting times of fasting right yeah. it isn't just indulge in sumptuous things regularly right at all or else right. there wouldn't be that anymore but that last one hastily mm. i think like it's most of the week oh, it's like we yeah. don't have time our, our culture our work culture is not built to give people time to prepare food a lot of times not much time to even eat food yeah um and so even if on the weekend or at my 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 church you know environment we have this like lovely moments with food monday through friday it's like good luck everybody you know it's it feels chaotic a lot of times it just feels like this day is not designed for anything but hasty eating um are, are there i mean maybe they're obvious but can we practically push back against that without 
gaining more time from our you know employer or something for lunch um by like approaching it differently maybe not eating alone um is a one Mm -hmm. way of 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 not eating hastily even in the 30 minutes we have Um, are there things we can do for just that once things get going it's really hard or the tired person at the end of the day or the tired parent at the end of the day just trying to get something to the table and the kids are complaining about everything near the table and like those are tough moments that this conversation sounds beautiful, but then yeah. in so much of our week, there's so few meals that feel like they're even available in that way. I think it, re- yeah, it does require uh, taking a step back a little bit and trying to map what the habits are and where the uh, stresses or anxiety are. Like for me, um, I get anxious if I don't have an idea of what I'm going to eat for lunch the next day at work, like when I'm going to bed. And not like a high-grade anxiety, just sort of like, oh, no, I need to figure out what I'm going to eat tomorrow. Um, And so that involves that I sort of have to plan ahead in that case. Otherwise, I wake up in the morning and I'm sort of like, you know, in a flutter of like, okay, I have to do this and this and make a lunch or stop somewhere or order it or, you know. Um, So I do think it it takes a step back and notice, like, when are those times when – uh, you need to cut yourself maybe a little slack or plan ahead or something. Like I, for a season, I would already always order the hot lunch from the school we work at um, on the days where I taught right before lunch and right after lunch because I, I knew that like I don't have, there's not enough time for me to like make something else happen. And this is a really busy day. It's a, my full day. So I would just order the lunch to like cut myself that slack and relieve myself of that stressor. So that's one thing that I think about of like, I, it doesn't have to be perfect, and it, but I do need to be aware of when in those moments um, I am not viewing, I'm just viewing food as like this hindrance or this, um, yeah, this thing that I have to do. Unfortunately, I have to take time away from my schedule to eat, you know? And so when, when are those feelings popping up and how can I avoid it? Um, hmm. Yeah, so those are the things that come to mind. The butlers are kings of meal prep. Meal um, prep. And I've never been able to figure it out. Like, I just I, I just always have admired it and been like, wow, I should do that. He's and got I, bags of just the right like, yeah. veggies. But now I've been friends with him and, like, worked with him for, like, eight years, and I never did it. So, <laughs> I guess so we know it's, it's possible. Lot. It's possible, but I guess not for me. I don't know. <laughs> No, the, the thing with give it us is, hope, Hayden. No, the thing with it is, is it like again? It's the it's the weekly rhythm, and and I think, and you know, and this doesn't always happen. There, you know, we've you you know, I, I both of you have been witness to the weeks where food prep didn't happen that weekend, and uh, and then it's and then it's basically like this, just a, a case study in gluttony. It's just like Hayden didn't do food prep, so Hayden is just eating candy for lunch today. He's <laughs> you know? moving from F yeah, to R to yeah, E to exactly. S. He is hitting all the whole acronym this week, and um, and yeah, it is. It's full of anxiety. Anxiety. Um, but no, in our, in our, in ordinarily it's, it's a, it's really, it's become kind of like a, um, kind of like a family thing, you know, mm-hmm. we kind of just, we set, we set the stuff that needs to get, you know, um, like kind of cut up and portion and stuff on the table or at the counter and then people pull up a chair and it's just kind of like we throw on some music and it becomes like the Sunday afternoon family hang. And, you know, like the, and my daughter, you know, is four. She's, you know, she's getting to the point where she has like a little cut glove and she can start like, you know, chopping carrots in half and things like that. And it's just, 
it's this kind of like everyone has a stake in what we're going to be eating that week and that's kind of how i grew up you know as like i remember like on holidays you know and this was i think what added to this that kind of has formed my thoughts over the years about it is um like my grandmother's rule at family holidays of christmas and thanksgiving and stuff was like nobody gets to just cruise like you're contributing something to the table Mm. you have to have a stake in the meal that's going to be here um, even if it's just smearing some peanut butter on some celery, like that's your thing you're going to put on the table. And like, and, and that, I don't know, that was, that, that had a kind of influence over the thing is that there was never like, like, you know, having like the feast day was never a passive activity in that, in that growing up. And it was because like, you know, the, that insistence, that kind of matriarchal rule that, you know, my grandmother insisted on and everyone abided by it. And it was really, it was really a gift because of that. Because like, and so when you were, as soon as you could stand at the counter, you were expected to prepare yeah. something, you know? And so even if you were just stirring, you know, you know, stirring sweet tea, you know, you, you had, you had to do it. And so, um, and so it's, uh, that was, that's part of it, I think. So it became kind of, it's part of the, I think that's maybe a one, one way of looking at it is like, what is the weekly rhythm? And, and I think that that's also, it's, it sets an expectation that, you know, gosh, we sometimes put a weird sort of artificial pressure on ourselves. Like in order for it to count as dinner, it needs to be, you know, X, Y, Z needs to be hot. It needs to have three courses. It needs (laughs) to have, and really, you know, like, gosh, I love, I love our sort of our generation has re-embraced the, like the idea of the adult lunchable, right? Like you need Mm -hmm. a little bit of bread, maybe some, a few slices of cheese, a little bit of meat. And like, it's like, and that's great. You know, it's really, and I think that's the key to like, to de-stressing it is also to say like, why do I believe that this has to be, something else it can be healthy and nutritious and social without it being very complicated at all like you know a good a good piece of bread with some you know with some hummus smeared on it is a fine meal in good company mm. as long as no one's freaking out about it much <laughs> less and I've, and I, but i've also done the thing where we cooked for like 10 hours and the conversation and the mil- and the vibe of the room was so toxic that this grand meal was just like i want to be done with this as quickly let's as possible let's get out of here you know and i've done that too you know but uh, but but you know I think I think that's also involved in it too. I love the um, the social aspect of that, especially the family, because it is one of those things where it feels like this is something we don't have time for. It also is something that takes a bunch of time to prepare, right. and it all gets kind of separated from everything else. And I already used it a couple times as an example, but it really has been an education for me and for um, for my little church to have a lunch that everyone contributes to every Sunday. God save the potluck. Because I'm telling you, man, and as the as the pastor, as the people who sort of, you know, think of themselves as like putting on like or welcoming into our house, like the impulse for certain people, you know, um, who are, you know, responsible and maybe put together like the sign up sheet or whatever, to like nervously want to make sure everything's bought so they're gonna buy everything because it doesn't you know not sure if everyone's gonna show up or participate like we've had to learn all of us have had to learn to just sort of say if it's not there it's not there and we all don't have it and and if it's there it's there and we all have it and we're gonna slowly learn together how to participate in this common meal every Sunday and it has but it's been an education and just like how to think about leading or at a church because it's not on myself certainly not on lisa to like make all of that always you know happen it's it's on the church to 
provide and participate in the way you're talking about and then uh, that of course is what makes it so much more enjoyable right everyone has 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 some investment everyone put something to the table whatever it may be and it really you it's just a totally different feeling than saying hey we're gonna serve you you know lunch every time you're over the house or whatever it has been something that's really been more formative than I probably realized, but but just having that common meal every Sunday and realizing it's insane and not going to be sustainable for any one family to try to like do all the things, you know, on a regular basis has been something that's started to show us like, okay, we value this, but that means like Tuesday, Wednesday, when we're like grocery shopping for our families, we're going to be thinking, oh, wait. We also need to be thinking about Sunday because mm-hmm. we're going to be there too. Yeah. So it starts to slowly work its way, I think, back into the other rhythms yeah. of the week and like how you think about and, and, and begin to think more about those things. Uh, but it's an education and process for sure. And it's been a really a blessed thing. But one of the few things that I've been a part of where everyone is more or less needs to bring something to the table right. for it to happen. <laughs> Um, and it's like yeah. <laughs> it feels like a lot of risk. Yeah. It feels like Ooh, this could go. There's really. gonna come that day and when and it doesn't work. And you're all, a, you're all eating when we're a bag all of Doritos hungry. together, you know. And it's it's all right, you know. And it's okay because okay. that's shared too. Yeah. And yeah. I, that's what's kind of you'll great always about remember it. it. <laughs> yeah, I plan a monthly potluck. That's a good word for me because I do a monthly potluck, and uh, and there have been times where like the day of, three people are like, "Sorry, I'm out." And, and it's like I have, yeah. no. And so, but it, I think that's a good word to not take it on myself. Is like, not, how will this event go off? But instead, just right. be like, this is this was the nature of the group today. You know, so and so is out sick, so mm. we don't have our main entree. Right. Um, but we'll be fine. There's always more food than we ever need, and that's always the thing that ends up happening. Right? Is that there's just like yeah, like we we never eat it all. It's just yeah. always <laughs> because. Uh, I don't know. The Lord, the Lord provides in those ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I wanted to add like a small little caveat because I know there's when it comes to food, there's like a lot of emotions that come up, and like or p- sometimes people feel. I think um, around women and food, what I would say besides the uh, obvious like medical extremes, which I don't really, I'm not qualified to speak into, but. I think there can be a lot of guilt uh, about food and how we eat and why we eat, and especially cooking. I know a lot of women who feel like really guilty about their lack of cooking skill or their lack of desire to cook. Or um, I just think it's really important that whatever community you're in, you like voice those things and talk about it. Because the division of labor maybe doesn't have to be what you think it's quote unquote supposed to be in in a relationship or marriage. Um, and it, I don't know, like, and if you feel like you have no skills, like you wish, I wish I could cook, but I don't know how, I wasn't trained in this, like nobody taught me how to do this, uh, but I would like to, like there's avenues for that as well. So it just sort of, I have a lot of things in my head about this, but if you are someone who feels ignorant about how to cook for themselves or prepare for themselves, there is nothing wrong with like, getting the hello freshes of the world or something that's like basic building blocks if that's something you want to do and if you're someone who feels a lot of guilt around like needing to provide food or i'm the woman so i have to feed the family like i really encourage you to talk that through with the people in your home Uh, because again if we're talking not just it's not so much about the food itself it's about those emotions with the food and you would hate for meals in your home to feel like this thing that uh, just that food is like a resentful thing and like ugh, this thing that's been put upon me to do or 
Um, I don't know. So I think we really have to talk about some of our assumptions when it comes to food and how we approach it and what we feel responsible for. Um, because we all know the, the sort of over-functioning person who thinks like, oh, this is all my responsibility. I have to take care of all this. When in reality, you know, if you have a 12-year-old, they can make a side dish and it's fine, you know, stuff like that. So um, there's a lot more to be said about that. But I just wanted to acknowledge that I think there's a lot of guilt and uncertainty about, am I doing it right? Um, so hopefully none of our, our phrasing is coming across that way, but instead like empowering you that like God has given food as a gift and it's beautiful and it's delicious um, and to keep it in its proper place as like this gift of his that can glorify him and build community when used correctly, so. Yeah, that's a good word. And uh, you know, thinking of the social aspect of it, surely is what you're talking about that it's meant to be shared like it would be bizarre if it was only ever one person doing everything either for themselves or for everyone yeah. else right like that that would be exhausting it certainly would breed resentment and other things but maybe then it could be a place as it is in this church context i'm describing it's a place where where you see um ability um interest strengths mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that were never asked of anybody because we didn't think of them in that way when it came <laughs> to the meal or they didn't do that before so we didn't know that they were able willing ready and 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 happy about being able to participate in that way but it does require a form of surrender to just be honest about like hey yeah this is where i i am and this is where i am and not <laughs> and uh and i could use some help here or i could use you know like i just need to be able to be okay saying that and then watching people just step in to to pick up some of that mm -hmm. um that work and as you're saying hayden sort of creating a space in which that work is part of the point is right. that that shared work is part of the point of of what we're talking about maybe even the most important part um, is what goes into it because when you have more than one person investing so much or investing their energy or their time it is all usually time um, then then it it matters differently and then you appreciate more I know I know the few times that I've had to be responsible for getting anything to the table for everyone, it is, it's, it's horrifying. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, how quickly, even if it's enjoyed, how quickly it's over based on how long it took. Oh, yep. yeah. oh yeah. I mean, you guys know that much better than I do because you do it regularly. Having not done it regularly, it is like, is mortifying because it, it doesn't have a proportionate enjoyment experience yeah. that you might think it should or certainly especially with young kids it's not like they're oh father thank you, right. thank right. you for your your hours of thinking about the, you know right. Can like I have butter noodles instead? they're just like yeah. oh what where is the other thing we liked you know and then you feel what what so many feel every day you feel that and you're like oh man this needs to be less hidden and anxious uh, and isolated hmm. and 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 i think I think that's a really important word of encouragement. <laughs> that's one, though, that I think even in itself has an opportunity, though, um, for formation, um, which is, and, I, and this is, I, I mentioned it only because this is one that I've had to recollect in my own life, is when you, you know, you kind of put a, put, the, put in the extra effort and you put it on the table and, like, you know, the kids, kids don't eat it. And then, like, and it's over, you're, you know, you're over with dinner in 10 minutes. 
and and you it confront what it does it confronted me and, I, and it's been something i've been thinking about recently it confronts in me the how i still conceive of the nature of gift as as having this as needing this kind of like kind of transacted response for it um in providing food for people it's like oh yeah like i, I actually if it is a if it is a gift like part of like there's something in me that has to like kind of unclutch the fist around the the response to that gift mm-hmm. in order for it to actually be what it what it what I want it to be I have to actually there's a point where I have to let it go and not and let go of the of a particular need or expectation for a particular response to it the fact that it is given was what makes it a gift and mm. not that the fact that it is received in a in a sort of pr- a pristine way or a customizable way which gets us back to control right uh, control in consumption control in provision even when it comes to that um, and, and, and it's, and it's come, it comes back to like to the, the more I try to have this under my control and to keep it un, keep it within firmly within my hand and to make it this thing that it maybe can't be maybe that's where the, the extent to which gluttony has taken over a natural good sort mm. of appetite hmm. yeah that's a really good um, helpful reflection my so I mean when we were thinking originally, we were talking about combining gluttony and lust, right? <laughs> and that, you know, now I'm looking at my watch, I'm like, that's a lot to to, to tackle. Um, now, Hayden, you and I, though, we did have an episode on Eros, in yeah. which we said many of the things we probably right. would have said um, when it comes to this topic. So not to be unfair to the listeners, but where there is an episode from last season's Four Loves, which is what we started last season with, um, in which we... we address Eros uh, at length. Um, let's talk briefly about it, and just because of the similarities being suggestive, especially for a culture that is, is so hyper-geared toward, um, you know, desires being not not within limits, or a culture that's just really, really moving towards instrumentalizing things that come up in Scripture as obvious goods, but then become just consumed right things that are just consumptive so thinking of both gluttony and then and then when the topic comes to lust thinking of uh, i think one of the lines at the beginning of her chapter is is another beekner line (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, which makes me think we should we should just talk about beekner half the time apparently um uh but he says uh, you know sex is not a sin and it's not salvation and uh you and i when we talked about eros you know it's not a demon and it's not a god but you can make it either or sure. both. It can become both. And and our culture very much has. I mean, with a limited imagination maybe in the church and a limited imagination in the culture, it has become both sin and salvation, demon and God. And and so maybe just in thinking about sex, sexuality, all the things related to that, when it comes to lust, thinking of the connection with gluttony is first you have to know what something's for what is food for it's 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 for your body to have energy to be able to get through a day to be uh the person you need to be in the places you need to be it's for other people and the sharing of life together over meals and and preparation together um it's it's for good things um sex also is for good things it's for two souls becoming commingled in the oneness of the flesh that the lord speaks of uh, from genesis all the way through um that it's meant to be this 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 way in which people who are have given their lives to each other um who have covenanted together promised before god in the world um, that they're not going to walk away that they're not reviewing their options regularly but that but that this is the person till death do us part 
and then it becomes so it becomes this incredible uh, thing to to share and delight in that that joins two people together. Uh, but then also, um, it's for life. It's for the production yep. of human beings, yep. and and both of those in some ways have disappeared from the conversation around sex maybe because at least as a minister when i do a wedding i will oftentimes be approached for people afterward and and some of the comments will be the things you said about love and about intimacy and about just a very sort of straightforward biblical what is this for um to them sound so unreal mm-hmm. from their experiences that they sound detached uh unbelievably hyper romantic to some people hmm. um like like idealistic uh, yeah a fairy tale like like a wonderful fairy tale for some of them but an absolute fairy tale based on their experiences and the experiences of everyone they know because the culture has so sort of dominated and won the lead uh, on this topic and on how people even view relationships um, and it's not getting any easier. We can see from you know our teenagers growing up in this world and our younger kids starting to grow uh, up into this world. Like it, it just it feels like the biblical vision is a fairy tale that nobody actually could possibly uh, enjoy or be a part of. Um, and and then the the production of life is sort of whoa! Don't take that out of my control either. Like this is. This is my, you know, future I need to plan and, and I have to be responsible and plan it a certain way. I can't be surrendering, you know, any time I would want to be intimate with someone to the possibility that we're going to have kids. You know, so both of those goods that we might as as Orthodox Christians say, well, okay, this is what it's for, um, are, I don't say non-starters, but they're unbelievably um, under suspicion when it comes to our culture. So maybe I could ask it in some of those terms, just on a really practical level, if if you are talking, not just from your own experience, but maybe in sharing that, that vision or that understanding with people you care about or people um, that you're friends with, um, do you find that there are ways of bringing people into that that doesn't feel like it's oh that's wonderful for you laura or you you know well Mm. you have this amazing spouse and yeah you know of course and everything worked out for you like a lot of times people it's it's a place of we talked about with the food emotions and resentment and hurt and pain and the more you talk about the good the more it shows what they have never participated in and feels like Mm -hmm. you're you're just shoving it in their face and saying well this is what you should have experienced Mm -hmm. you know so it can just be this this whole realm of like detachment and do you do you find ways of communicating um a vision or a biblical vision or god's uh, you know vision for love or sex those kinds of things in ordinary circumstances that feel accessible um is that is that something that you're able to to show people is not like just an unreality that isn't something they need to give up on just because hmm. the majority of the experiences they have might be the other way. Like, where, where do you start with that question when so many people start already well downstream of it not really yeah. being their experience? I think, so I appreciated at the end of the chapter, she uses the phrase, she says, uh, chastity is a positive project. And I appreciated that framework because that's usually how I try to approach it as like, what is the positive of this community standard, if you will. Because I think it's something that's been really compelling for me in the past few years um, and is this idea that if you're holding this standard of interaction with a number of human beings, like 
it takes away some of that commodity um, mindset that I think happens. So like when you when you take sex off the table, it allows for a community of single people that are truly valuing each other and seeing each other's humanity and honoring each other rather than um, just sort of commodifying people or seeing them all as an option or as potential or like, you never know, you know, sort of, um, cause that's what I've actually found is incredibly destructive in uh, communities of single people, even if sex is off the table, um, just sort of always viewing each other as this like romantic prospect. Right. And like, um, I think that's, can be in, I know like in Christian colleges and stuff, students express a lot of frustration at this. It's like, it feels like it's a meat market or it feels like people are on the prowl, the Saturday night service at church. It sort of feels like (laughs) the young singles are on the prowl. And so nobody feels safe and nobody feels valued and nobody feels loved in that situation. And then if you add the possibility of like sex and the hookup culture, then I can't even imagine how unsafe I as a woman would feel in like nearly every scenario right. of just sort of feeling exposed. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of the what I, how I try to phrase it for people is like imagine a community of people, uh, men and women who aren't always terrified of each other um, or always on the hunt for each other. And doesn't that kind of sound nice? <laughs> and people think it's a little idealistic, but it's like if you if you take this off the table um, as an option, then yeah, you're, it'll solve a whole host of problems. It'll solve like, um, yeah, for, for either side of the, the gender line, like it'll solve a whole host of problems if you can agree that like chastity is our aim, but that doesn't just look like I'm not having sex before marriage. It looks like I'm gonna treat people with dignity and respect and like, in my imagination of them, imagine them as more than just a body for my own use. Yeah. So, so you're saying, you know, cultivating friendships, cultivating relationships that do not require that as some, ooh, even some possibility uh, yeah. to be in the frame for that to be interesting. Why are you interested in this other person? Maybe because they're a human being right. that is interesting as uh-huh. a human being that they have their own their yeah. own value, their own dignity, their own interest, you know, that is not relative to what it may become for you someday in these other contexts. Right, yeah, and Keller talks about in his opening of uh, uh, Meaning of Marriage, which I would highly recommend, he talks about how, like, Christian dating needs to look fundamentally different than non-Christian dating, right? Like, if you approach a room and just scan and, like, find your four options, and then you only matter, you only, like, approach those four potential options, like, how is that any different than how a non-Christian would... would? <laughs> so I, I think that's one of the initial things that got me thinking about it in my early 20s is like, oh, you're right. Like, we just start treating everybody as as like a, you know, a display of my options when like people are so much more than that. Same criteria. We're just saying, oh, but we won't have sex until we're married. Right. right? <laughs> but right. all the criteria, everything else lines it's up. It's like... Right. You're, yeah. still, you're still a sexual object to me. Yeah. But one that but I can't yet. actualize until... until yeah. I, that I can't act upon until later. Right. Boy, yeah. that's a recipe Which, for a happy marriage. As, <laughs> well, and that's one of the things that she talks about that is really helpful and so important is she's talking about chastity within marriage. Right. right? And she talks about like... Yeah. What are we even talking about? It's right. not like, oh, and then once you're married and you know, you know, as a as a pastor, you know, last couple decades, you know, the number of of versions of this in yeah. which let's say a particular 
guys believed like as some baseline assumption that once i married like that you know it's it's all about me what i want my desires and now it's like biblically mandated somehow that that be what it's that yeah. that, that, that that it be satisfied and and the number of like walking that through with people in the middle of a marriage Oof. when it was a yeah. christianized <laughs> biblicized assumption for basically situations that are fundamentally abusive yeah. and completely not equal in any way, shape, or form at, at the end of it. Um, but I waited, but we, but wait, no, this is, you know, right. like whoever did or did not, you know, paint that picture, um, it was certainly the assumption going in that we're basically the culture, we just wait a little bit longer and and then and then and then stick with that partner you yeah. know until mm-hmm. we're until we die or at least we try to about 50 50 from what i've seen out there um and and yet like the, all those assumptions were all destructive instrumentalized the same thing it was me first it was the same issue with gluttony yeah. food being me first means i don't i don't think about food in a social context and i don't think about who made it or where it's from or what are the costs behind this that and the other thing i think about what i want right now and that is exactly what lust is, and, and is 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 thinking about me first and what is best for me, my pleasure, and everything else, and not who this person is and who they are in Christ and who they are in the world. And um, so, if you're if you're trying to present that, then um, as in a culture that is so far just downstream of that, um, I love what you said, Laura. You presented it as like, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Like, wouldn't that just be like relaxing to be around people that you weren't like <laughs> having to <laughs> look over your shoulder or wonder if you're being evaluated favorably at a particular moment? Like, I love that you start with like, like, wouldn't isn't that what we want? Like, yeah. wouldn't we want communities in which we weren't on edge about this? Wouldn't we want? Christine Emba is a, a journalist for the Washington Post, and she just came out with a book this year. She's a sort of a quasi-religious person. Um, but she just came out with a book this year called Rethinking Sex. And in it, she interviews all these young women. Um, and one woman who's sort of been actively involved in just sort of hooking up with whoever um, and expressing her frustration at that. And then she just said, "Couldn't we? can't we just love each other for just like one minute? <laughs> oh, man. And so it was sad. like, because so she was talking much. about like sort of the morning after like and then leaving and just but I just think that's the that was like such a huge takeaway quote of like yeah wouldn't it be nice if we actually just like really loved and cared about each other and like only invested in people intentionally when you you know I don't know so that's I think that just sounds that just sounds nice like I don't a community where I don't have to be afraid I don't have to be scared and I know that people are actually investing time and energy in me for me mm-hmm. and not for some other reason. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a hip hop artist propaganda you guys might know. He has a song out recently called We Are the Culture. Yeah. And the whole point is like, why do we keep saying what I'm saying, which is, you know, look at this culture, look at what it's making us do. It's like, we are the, like, we, we are the culture. So do something different. Like, so make, right. make, different decisions talk to people about things in a way you think is actually true if that is a desire that people have and that we we mostly all share a fundamental desire to be known to be loved to be valued for who we are <laughs> like right. that is that is part of the way that we are human and the way that we've been made by god to be persons um and so maybe there maybe it's it's stopped giving so much credence to what I see online or what, you know, what it says that we we're everyone's being steered by. 
maybe we just maybe just opt out and you you do the good maybe you just start to say well why don't we talk more about this in this way why don't we i mean i guess it's because this with this one in particular let's just say with lust like the greeks really did view this as a god that overwhelmed you yeah and that took over control of you she makes a comment in the chapter that it is is i think many people's experience of this is i don't even want this this is not what I think is good. I'm not like trying to defend it or write an essay saying my behavior in this yeah. area is justifiable or or sound. Um, it's just that I don't feel like I'm totally in control. Like the level of of intensity of those impulses and desires when they are you know keyed up, it just feels it's shameful. It's all sorts of things. Everything you say, everything I would feel in church, everything whatever. That's the problem, is I don't feel like I have any control so much of the time when it comes to these things. That's what many Christians have said to me, point blank. I know what's good. I know what this is for. I know it must be possible in the Lord somehow because he says it. <laughs> but my experience is I am completely overwhelmed and I don't feel like I am making decisions that I even, I don't believe in them. But I'm doing them anyway because I don't feel like I fully am in control. Hmm. It, with that person, let's say, who believes what it's for, but feels overwhelmed um, by forms of life and pace of life and um, the availability of, of a world that is constantly selling and stimulating these kinds of things, the worst impulses we have. Um, do we just need to get back to the <laughs> the commune and the yurt like what do we need to do we can't be like hey we got to get off the grid you need to throw your computers away i mean some no. people maybe i don't know but you know like what do we where do we give hope for people who just feel like this culture just in general is so steered in this direction that even or especially though i believe it to be bad or wrong or destructive i continue to fall into it like i feel like i can't escape i, I bet that's probably the story of many of, of our students at the school i bet that's the story of many people in our churches you know that yes but help my unbelief what, what would you say to, to folks like that Hayden I mean, all of life hangs together um, that's usually where I start um, we, this is an area like lust has been hyper emphasized it certainly was in my formation and upbringing um, and but it was it was even by well-meaning people excised from its connection to everything else but all of life hangs together um, and what we do in one thing impacts the way we approach everything else. So this is why I think it's helpful we talk about it in the same conversation as gluttony. Mm. Because I think that central to both is a question of whether we want to go about life in terms of hunger and consumption. Or do we want to go about life in terms of wonder and participation? The first one you know, with food is, is more obvious, right? Like we, we, you know, hunger and consumption, like everything is all right. Like, I just think this is, is, is something that I can, like, is this something that I can eat? Is this something that I can eat? Like, you know, I sometimes think my, like my toddler son, you know, approaches life this way. Cause he seems to <laughs> assess the value of everything by whether he can eat it or not. Right. And I'm like, yeah, it makes sense in a way. Right. Like, yeah, you're like one of your main concerns right now is eating and growing. Right. And like, that's the thing. And so, we haven't, you know, we haven't, he's not really reflecting on his own experience of doing this yet. And it's kind of this image because, it, and it's appropriate for his age developmentally, but that habit sometimes does not age out when we grow up, right? And we, we go around saying like, can mm -hmm. I eat this? Can I yeah. eat that? Can I eat this? And then, you know, we make the easy, you know, adjacent pivot over to sexuality. It's like, well, it's like, are you for me? 
are you for me? Are you for me? And it's mm. like, and so we approach sexuality with, in terms of hunger and conception, either in its sort of base form, which we're most familiar with, is like anything I look at, I'm just like saying like, yeah, that's all for me. You know, it's all for my gratification. Or we have a more rarefied form of it, kind of like that fussiness with eating, mm. right? Which is, you know, like, oh, but I need to curate the most pristine, idealized, customized version of this for me to enjoy perfectly um, mm-hmm. in a way that satisfies <laughs> me and, and affirms everything about me and all this kind of stuff. That's just kind of a, like the same thing as rarefied eating. Um, it's the same way with sexuality. But, you know, on the other hand, there's a way of living, I think, that's defined in terms of wonder and participation, wonder is a is a pausing at first right a pausing to regard the thing as an other to regard the thing as not me as not immediately for me right and that's not we have to be careful not to get into a kind of a mindset where we we trade that phrase like oh wow that's something other than me that isn't for me um from saying like uh like i see that thing and it's not for me right, right. like that, there's a difference between those two things i want to be clear about that it's that first thing saying like wow this thing, it's not me, it's not mine, and it's not for me. It won't ever be for me in this way or in this context. And then the, I think wonder becomes when we say, isn't that great? That's, some, that, that, that's something that is there. That's something that exists or someone that exists, right? Wonder is the ability to having, having paused, having regarded, having, and then having said, wow. The ability to say wow and then in the cases of either like with food or with any sort of consumable thing or or even or with people who are not consumable things but are but are people who are to be who are to be related to relationally right you you you, you get to there's a delight in being able to say like oh wow i get to participate in something with you right and this is why the bible is very clear that friendship as the as the classics and the, and the scriptures understand it Eros, as the classics and the scriptures understand it, is not something to be consumed. It is something to be participated in on its own terms. That's, I think, the, the difference, right? Is, 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 this some, is this a mystery into which I am entering as it is? Or is this something that I'm trying to sort of fit into a box that I can then feel satisfied by? Hmm. And so, and I think we, we, with, with both habits, they hang together, right? So when I, you know, to come back to your question, when I sort of engaging pastorally or reflecting on my own life, if I detect a disorder in some area where I'm acting consumptively about something and I'm processing everything through hunger and consumption, I have to start looking at the other adjacent and even non-adjacent areas of life and be like, "Eh, that's probably not the only place something's happening here. And, you know, as I counsel young people who are like, I just, I'm having such a struggle with like maintaining, you know, purity and chastity. And I'm like, all right, so like, what what is a uh, what is what is what does the meal plan look like through the week? And it's like, uh, what does your sleep schedule look yeah. like the week? Yeah. What does your video game consumption look like? What is your you know all we go through a list of all these sorts of other things. It's like, oh wow, so this isn't just just good news. This isn't a particular dysfunction. It's just a right. general dysfunction a general. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that this is participating in. But that that's a more helpful vector of approach, I think. Absolutely, yeah. uh, more hopeful, right? Yeah. Like. Uh, when you when you because you would say that of someone who I don't know impulsively shopped or any number of yeah. things, you probably would be like, well, "What's going on? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, how are you doing? Or like, on? what's going on at home? Like, are you guys how are you guys doing? Is everything okay? Like, right. you just start as a friend. You would just start asking other questions. You would be like, "Well, did you save money on that purchase? You did you try going over here for that purchase? You, right. would, you wouldn't be like hunting out the symptom. No, you would be backing uh, up to some other place to say like, "Well, what? Yeah. How are you? And where where are things?" a little off that would that would make that a little bit more of a an escape or a temptation with gluttony lust greed these are these are these are the symptom ones yeah 
they're always the symptom of some deeper thing you know and that's why the ancients always looked at them as like kind of the yeah these are the superficial vices among the serious soul-destroying vices these are the most superficial because the pride and and vanity and vainglory and and avarice and wrath and sloth those are the ones that that give birth to these these are the ones that enable them no one who's who's seriously contending with those deeper ones find these things as attractive so as we are able to tackle um, some of the other conversations we've had or some of the other topics that we've been considering, um, we should expect to see more and more ways that they, as you said, sort of hang together, oh, yeah. both for, mm-hmm. for, for, for ill and for better. And yeah. so that if we're moving in healthier directions in one, it might begin to tug in a healthier direction yeah. these other ones, right? right. Um, I think that's really important to keep in mind, especially separating these chapters, separating our right. conversations over time. Like, you know, thinking of us as as whole persons and thinking that there is a garment without a lot of seams here. Like, yeah. this is pretty much one thing. <laughs> um, and, and then that gives us a lot of hope because maybe where there are areas of health, we talked about participation or, you know, something that we're like, oh, I've experienced a little bit of that. That's really good. Leaning into more of those things we know are good may begin to, to sort of ease or lighten the the sense of being overwhelmed by some of these things that feel like they're so out of our control or they're just so dominant right. in our mm-hmm. lives. Um, final words, my friends, on gluttony and lust. Food is good. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you, guys, you guys have been... Um, I don't know a lot of people who care about food in the way that you guys do. Um, and and it doesn't make me feel like a huge piece of crap for not caring about food in the way you guys do. So it's like much more accessible because it doesn't it doesn't make I don't feel like shamed around you when you're describing how thoughtful you've been about this that and the other thing or what you're really excited about having prepared. Like there's something about that that when someone is interested or connected to something in a healthy way it genuinely feels inviting at any place it doesn't feel like oh i need to be just like that or else i'm not doing this at all and i find that really helpful just as a general comment uh for those of us who who otherwise are at sea when it comes to uh some of these topics to, to to see um to see the lives that you're trying to live intentional lives healthy lives with your homes your relationships your friendships um, and in these other ways as well. And the integration has, has been something helpful as your friend to be able to say, oh man, I think I don't want to think about this being super integrated because I just don't want to think about it that much. <laughs> I don't want to think mm-hmm. about yeah. you know what I eat being that related to this other, other thing. Um, but I think it's actually really kind of exciting, you know, like coming um, out of these sort of summer months into this new sort of school year and these other things. You know, one of the things we want to do is we reflect on like, not how to optimize, but how to like enjoy yeah. more of what mm-hmm. the Lord has for us as we right. get older, mature in our ability to enjoy life. And and those are the conversations that Lisa and I have, like what what is be- better, what is best? Like what, what, mm-hmm. what do we actually care about? And what are we pretending to care about? But we would actually yeah. much rather spend more time over here. Like there's a real freedom in being able to start to recognize Hey, that's good. I want to just invest more in that. I'm a grown-up. I get to do that. I get to choose how I'm going to do that. I'm a father. I can also choose sort of some of the rhythms that Lisa and I want to incorporate into the lives of our children. Like, 
there's an incredible freedom and opportunity there. And it doesn't have to feel like, well, the culture is not going that well. Who cares? Like our home is a culture. My marriage is a culture, right? Like our even, you know, at the being at the school on staff is a culture. Like there's all, we're all in these little places of culture. So I guess I've felt more encouraged um, as we've been thinking about how these things are connected uh, and talking about some of those things. And maybe just that freedom that we talked about before, Laura, with just sort of like, just choose something good and stop like trying to <laughs> micromanage it or or overly having to understand every single thing like if it's if it's good to 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 feast on sunday with your church mm-hmm. then just do what's good like just mm-hmm. enjoy that and enjoy getting better at enjoying that mm-hmm. um i think that's that's probably where i'm at and i think i'm i'm enjoying seeing some of the connections to some of these things that mm-hmm. I, you know, by default might say, oh, that might be someone's issue if they're really struggling with that, I guess. Um, but it's much more exciting to say like, oh man, the good is, is, is something that also all hangs together. Mm-hmm. Um, Laura Hayden, as always, thank you for this conversation. Thank you, David. Thanks, David.